Welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast, episode 1012. My interview with Linda Wawozniak, and we're discussing her book, Million Dollar Adjustments. Enjoy. Hi, Linda. Welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast. Great to have you here today. Hello, Lee. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's just hope this, this audio quality holds out for us for this interview. <laughs> we will hope. Keep our fingers crossed. We're on the other side of the world from each other. Whereabouts are you located? I'm actually in the United States in northern Indiana. Northern Indiana. The Midwest. The Midwest. And what's the uh, weather looking like over your way? Well, it's actually quite beautiful. We have sunny skies. Um, We are just now beginning to enter fall, so we have um, good bonfire weather. It's starting to get a little crisp at night, and the the leaves are changing colors. It's, It's really pretty, really very pretty. Oh, lovely. And you get outside and have a few fires, do you? We do. In the evening, we try to have some fire and uh, we, we gather around some friends or just family and uh, we try to have a little music and try to look at the stars. Simple pleasures. Simple pleasures. Is this fairly traditional there for a lot of people or is it just a, a family sort of tradition you guys carry? It's actually a lot of people do that this time of year. People, especially where I live, they do a lot of bonfires, um, kind of part of the fall um, events or activities that people look forward to. That and yeah. going, you know, to pumpkin patches or, um, you know, doing something like a corn maze if there's families with little ones. Uh, there's, you know, the fall is a really beautiful time. I love those cultural um, aspects, you know, I, I just, I, I feel like we miss that in Australia and maybe it's because we don't have the long history here. Or I'm not sure what it is. Maybe the seasons aren't quite as dramatic. Um, yeah, I don't know yeah. what it is, but I remember I lived in Japan for a while and, and certainly, um, autumn or spring, there was always these, you know, cultural things they just did. And it, it happened everywhere, mm-hmm. no matter where you were. And I just loved it. I, I gave me a good feeling. Yeah. It's like Christmas here, you know, we celebrate Christmas very well. Um, yeah. And Easter, yeah, and that's, that's really about it. Yeah, those are great events, and those are fun. I mean, people need those just to celebrate, get together, um, enjoy the change of season. Where you are, is there much of a change of season or not really? No, really, no. We've got on the Sunshine Coast in Australia, midway down the east coast um, mm-hmm. is where we're located. We've got almost perfect weather year-round. Um, well, that's not bad either. <laughs> you know, that 20, nice. 20 degrees Celsius, 25 degrees. It gets a bit hotter and some a bit cooler in winter, but the averages mm. are, are really consistent and uh, it's usually sunny. So it's the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a pretty good deal too, I have to say. Yeah. A lot of people love it. So, But um, look, Linda, tell us a little bit about your background, your story. I know we've got a, a new book out, which I'm excited to get into. I think that's um, the reason why we connected. Um, yeah. The book is called Million Dollar Adjustments, The Power of Small Changes on Performance, Productivity, and Peace. Interesting you throw in peace there at the end because I'm all about performance productivity and certainly peace is a thing that um, I think surrounds that. But tell us a bit about your background story. Sure, I'd love to. Um, I'm going to jump into the most, uh, I guess, the most significant part. And I would say um, that in the last 15 years, I've been working with professional baseball. Um 
in that time frame, what I did was I really paid attention to what made an athlete succeed. And I was around a lot of young men. Um, I got involved in baseball by accident. And yeah. I was, yeah, I, what do you I mean honestly by never played. What do <laughs> well, you mean by accident? What happened Well, I've never, yeah, kind of, well, <laughs> I, I've never played Major League Baseball, right, as a woman. So, um so they were starting to have a lot of international athletes come in from Latin America. They were signing them and they said, hey, we need uh, we're noticing there's a problem culturally. So they said, we need to make sure we, we kind of make sure they learn English and they understand the culture. And we and we work through this transitional period so they can be the most effective on the field. Yeah. So, um, you know, that makes sense, right? Yeah. So. I was called because of some of the work I had done prior, um, which was um, I, I, I actually had some um, I worked with a school corporation doing some things with um, science, technology, engineering and math. But I also was fully bilingual. So um, the Department of Education, I worked with them. And so they people knew me in the education space. Um, so they asked if I wanted to help this local team with a couple players, learn some English and help them adjust to the new culture. So I said, sure, that sounds great. My son was like seven at the time and he loved baseball. I said, yeah, that, I think he would enjoy this and I would too. So it was only like 20 hours for the whole summer. It was very small, but um, I immediately saw that there was some, we needed to do some things that weren't there. Um, so I began creating curriculums, hiring teachers, um, making a system to the whole thing. And, you know, even in that, I realized that the guys quicker were not necessarily the smarter guys. And that's what everybody in baseball thought. It was really the guys who were really able to learn the quickest were the guys who could make great adjustments, especially after they failed or when they Sorry, the guys that can learn the quickest. Mm-hmm. So you said, so the guys that learn the quickest were the. Yeah, were the guys who, who, who could make good adjustments. Right. So they also happened to be the guys on the field that were able to make good adjustments. Those were the guys that ended up going to the big leagues who kept climbing. So there was this idea about adjustments um, that I was noticing. So. You asked me about my background. Um, mm. Part of part, part of it was the educational piece, but my my training in school, my first uh, level of training was I was trained as an engineer. Right. Yeah, and so I was really, you know, the systemic approach to things and process analysis and failure modes, effects analysis. How do we how do we plan for failure so that we can succeed? Was really what I was doing as an engineer. Um, and, and then as I left that, I, you know, I became a mom and I said, you know, I don't want to go back to that. Um, and then I just started doing a little teaching and that's kind of how this whole thing came about. So really I didn't expect to be in baseball. I was just doing, you know, something completely different and it kind of found me, which I'm happy about. That's cool. Yeah. And you, you, you're passionate about the sport. I imagine you must be. Oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. especially when you when you know the players, it makes it so different too. You know. How did you They're find like the, the um, 
collaboration. Sorry, just offshoot, but uh, a collaboration of, of your engineering background and and then you know the part of coaching or, or training um, in in the baseball arena, the crossover there, and I guess what were your learnings there in that in that period where you're crossing those things over? Because I feel that um, from a lot of the research I've done and books I've read is that some powerful creative ideas and and talents come from um, those entwinements of of backgrounds and educations. Yeah, it's just hap- it was just dumb luck at the time that right. um, I kind of got involved. There was a big I don't know. Did you ever see or hear about the movie Moneyball? Yeah, I think I've watched it once or twice ages ago. Okay. It was a really good movie. Yeah, and it kind of tells that tells a story of how statistics suddenly became the gold standard in baseball um, and sports in general. And so I just happened to be at the right place at the right time because um, I actually, you know, had a measurement statistical background myself and understood that type of variables and analysis. Um, So it, it really made sense. But the, the thing that I really saw was that people are still people and we can measure things all day long, but people still have, I mean, people are amazing creatures and we um, can't look at them all the same. Um, We can learn some things on patterns, but we have to understand that everyone does something differently and that's a good thing. That's Mm. how we're made. So I really try to look at the person, not just the cold numbers, which is kind of what was happening, um, and try to develop a way to find a peaceful approach to the numbers to help them be more productive and perform higher at a higher level, but still honor them as a person, if that makes sense. Right. Hence the title of your book, Performance, Productivity, and Peace. Yes. Yes. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. It's interesting. Do you think that, um, because I think the world at the moment um, is very much driven by data, statistics, algorithms, the numbers, Mm -hmm. And, and perhaps we are now looking, uh, which is great for many reasons, performance and productivity-wise, but perhaps we are, we are missing that human element. And uh, I think um, even with COVID right now, I think there's a, a big part of that that's um, really not humane. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, I think that people are not machines and we, are, um, we have our own, you know, um, uh, you know, we we can do things to improve. We can measure things to make us more productive. But in the end, we are, are you know, we are made special. Our DNA is important in different ways, and everyone has different DNA. So we can't look at you know everyone exactly the same. So that's why we have mm-hmm. to understand how they make adjustments and and what we can do um, to help them make better adjustments. Um, it's funny because. I started doing this test. I created this test way before COVID was ever a thing. And we were, you know, studying. And what we really were looking at was how does a person make an adjustment through failure, but also in times of uncertainty? Like how, if you give them, an, uh, you know, and change, if you give them a test that, they're, you know, it's very uncertain what the outcome is, how will they work through that? Um and of course, uncertainty creates great anxiety, especially when you're being tested on it, which kind of we all are right now in some weird way. Um, and so 
it gave us an idea as to, okay, how does a person power through that? And how does a person continue to go through? And then we saw, so we just looked at a lot, we saw a lot of patterns in that. Um, and there's never a situation that we'll always have control. And I think that's, um, you know, we have to learn more about how can we adjust through whatever situation we're in to make it um, peaceful for us. Because I think there's never a situation where it's always 100% um, where we always have control, you know? if mm. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and so... Yep. Yeah. There you go. I'm sorry. sorry. No, no, I was just saying that's... And that's why the idea of adjustment is so relevant. I never thought it would be so relevant in 2020 and 2021 because I was doing it years ago. I was studying it years ago and I really didn't, there was many times I thought I was going to stop doing it. Um, Oh, sorry. Um, But I felt like I was supposed to keep going. Um, And so who would have thought that now in the world, the world is going through a lot of great adjustment and, I think that creates a lot of anxiety and stress. And so the idea is to say, okay, how can we, um, how can we bring joy into this? How can we have some, some, you know, how can we understand this in ourselves a little bit more? Um, it's no different than if you're a pro athlete and you're facing an amazing competitor or, you know, um, you're facing a, a really a turbulent time. It's really kind of the same emotions and the same, uh, need to, to understand how you make adjustments. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to get into this, how we, how we become better at adjusting, but, mm-hmm. um, I mean, right now, I guess in, in the, you know, elite athletes and things like that and peak performer, you know, experts in certain industries and fields maybe, um, have trained themselves really, really well to, to adjust well. Uh, and perhaps mm-hmm. some people are more, you know, just from their upbringing, um, better able to, to deal with change as well than others. But, I get a sense that we're almost being dumbed down to a point that, um, you know, in society we're not good any longer at adjusting and that's that's not obviously good for the individual and probably not good for humanity but it's good in a mm-hmm. lot of ways for control and conformity and consumerism and, and the way society's set up. Mm-hmm. Would you think that's a fair comment or? A hundred percent. I think that you, you're, you know, uh, standardization is something, you know, I saw as an engineer and, um, it's, it benefits, standardization benefits the, the, the company that's creating standards and it does, it can benefit the, the person, the consumer as well. But, but, you know, we, that's why I say, you know, um, every person, every athlete, um, we're all, we all have, a uniqueness to us, you can standardize to a point. So the best thing to do, in my opinion, and this is something that, you know, I was trained in very well is we're not always going to see the same, we are going to have variables. And so how do we maximize the system even with variables and in a way that is, that makes sense, you know? Um, Does that, I mean, and, and I think machines, you know, well, of course we're talking about machines, but, but people, um, it's more, I think the word harmony is better instead of like standardization because, um, you know, people aren't going to be all standardized. It's not possible. No, no. Impossible. You would think, Mm -hmm. um, which is a good thing. 
but um, perhaps I mean maybe not, maybe not impossible. Maybe they can they can bring us to a point where it's it's we're very standardised, um, and maybe that's the way that we're moving. But yeah, I think it's it's probably I don't the best think way. so. No, I don't believe that's no, I don't believe that's true. Yeah, why is that? I think well because. Um, at the end of the day, you know, one of the things that I've had to really do is look at how we learn and how our brain works, the cognitive, diff- you know, the different cognitive processes. Mm. Um, and one of the highest forms of um, thinking is creativity. And creativity is not something that um, we all we all have that in different, you know, forms or different levels. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think you can standardize someone's creativity. Um, I guess it depends on what you're trying to standardize. But if you're talking about output of a person and what their impact is, I don't think you can standardize that 100%. I just don't think you can. No, but if you look at creativity as, mm-hmm. as one of those you know, attributes to make us so different from one another, um, and, and I guess it's an ability to think as well, um, those things I wouldn't think you can standardize, but you could certainly numb those attributes down to a point where they're not being used as effectively as they could. So creativity, now you look at kids on, on, on iPads watching you know, YouTube or whatever endlessly, they don't have that, that time to go and play and be creative. So their, their creativity, um, their, well, their strength of creativity is, is lessened, I believe. Um, same with the ability to think. If, if if AI and algorithms and that is helping make decisions for us, and we are, are less, you know, um, able to to think for ourselves and make our own logical decisions, then those two aspects that make us essentially different will be more and more standardised, potentially. Yeah, and I've heard. You know, I've definitely been exposed to these thinkings because of my work in um, as an engineer. And I mean, we are looking at AI back in the 80s, they were just beginning to talk about it. Um, So, you know, I've been familiar with the concept for a long time, but, you Mm. know, having had conversations with a lot of engineers over around it, um, I think it's great in theory. And I think there's a lot of um, potential. But I think at the end of the day, we're not figuring in the power of the human being. And I think, you know, we are such a powerful species um, that I just don't think there's any way they can standardize every aspect of humanity. Um, there's just no way. No, no, you're right. Yeah, because at some point somebody has to um, control the, you know, control the actual um, programs, so to speak. And there's um, there's just too much. There's too many variables. I guess that's the way of looking at. It. There's just way too many variables. Still way too many. That's yeah. Yeah, even even when I looked at it, like, you know, just with the small when when we're looking at the entire population of the world, uh, you know, I tested a lot of people. And but even still, that's that's not a drop. That's a drop in the hat compared to the number of people in the world. And um, there's just there were a lot of variables. So so when you think of all the different cultures, all the different um nationalities and the ages and everything i just don't think there's a way to there's way too many variables yeah yeah you're probably right um yeah it'll be interesting to see where it goes so what what do you do um to help people um with their performance and productivity 
um, whilst keeping in mind those those differences in the individuals, um, is mm-hmm. it all about just helping them be better at um, dealing with change and being a bit more resistant and resilient? Well, what we found is that there are five basic elements of adjustment um, when okay. we broke it down. So, yeah. the fir- yeah, the first one is beliefs, mm-hmm. um, and that's a big one. And belief, um, but I'm going to use it in terms of performance and productivity. Um, yeah. It's basically how well you think you can actually make the adjustment. So, uh, and there are different things that inform our beliefs. Um, one of them is called subjective probability, like looking back saying, hey, I never, I failed at that before, so I'm probably going to fail, I'm going to fail at that again. I mean, we carry those things around. So um, our beliefs usually get cemented based on what happened to us in the past, however, or what we think might happen. So if we can hover, um, sometimes we just need to hover on our beliefs before we cement them in and kind of wait and see, that makes us a better adjuster. Um, And then- What do you mean hover on the beliefs? Well, instead of cementing it in one way or the other, well, unless it's positive, but if it's really negative, it can stop our adjustment process unless we really don't want to adjust. And that's in the book, too. Um, There's a point where we do draw the line on adjustments. And I think that's not a bad thing either um, based on the type of adjuster you are and what the adjustment can do. So but just in general, so belief is one area that the second area is um, internal timing. So we all have, yeah, internal timing. So we all have a timing that we, we kind of live by. We have this, um, you know, we, we, like, for example, if I ask you, if I were to start a stopwatch and I were to say, okay, at four minutes or at four seconds, I'm going to say start. And when, when you think four seconds has gone by, then, then, um, then you tell me to stop. Uh-huh. And I would look at your timing, and so if it's faster than four seconds, I would say you tend to have a faster internal timing, or if it's slower. It's basically how you perceive time. Interesting. Yeah, and everyone does it differently. It's fascinating. I've done this to a lot of people. And can then what we do is we... Or do I know too much now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can absolutely do it to you. Let me get my uh, clock here. Hold on a I second. Might, I might rig the results. No, I don't think you really can. It's kind of, yeah, yeah, it's kind of innate. Um, Let's see. Let me get my clock. What do you want me to do? You want me to count to four? Uh, Yeah, count to four. Let me get my, where is my, hold on. I might have to go get my cell phone because I don't think I can do it in this. Hold on for a second. Yep. Yeah. But I'll just talk to you about it when I'm, when I'm, so, so then when we know what our internal timing is, then what we can do is say, okay, most likely you're going to, um, your adjustment is going to be, uh, the speed at which you can adjust has a lot to do with this internal timing. Right. So, and then what we do is we work on that. Once we know that in an athlete, we say, okay, that is a key piece of how fast you're going to be able to move through this. Or not. So if, if someone has else, a high in, high rate of internal timing, does that mean they're faster at adjusting and therefore better at adjusting than someone with a slower rate? Yes. It could also mean that if they have a faster, it could also mean that they decide faster that they don't want to. So it could go either way. Um, 
So, so let me um, grab my, here it is. Okay. So, all right. Okay. So I'm going to say start. And when I do, yeah. you count, to, you tell me when to stop when you get to four seconds. Okay. Okay. So don't look at your phone. <laughs> don't. No, I've just got my eyes shut. I'm just shut my eyes. Okay. Shut your eyes. Okay. Ready? Yep. Go. Okay. That was pretty close. It was 420. 420, there you go. So I would say you're pretty close. Maybe a little fast, but I would say you're pretty close. Hmm. That's good. Now, do you think you were trying extra hard since uh Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's some part of that in my head. I tried to not, but and I just tried to count to four. Yeah, you did a good – I mean, that's pretty – you're pretty close. Slightly fast, but pretty close. So you would probably then be um, able to make – I mean, so your internal timing is – it would depend on what stops it. So certain things can stop it, whether it's your belief or – let's get into the other three three of other elements. Um, the other one is strategic action. So mm-hmm. whether you're on the offense or defense, um, if you're on the offense – you are like to go and attack something, um, and every after every failure or uncertainty, the the way you make an adjustment has something to do with your strategy. Yeah. You're either going to be in the defense or you're going to be in the offense. Okay, I'm just trying to find a pen that works here. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yep. Sorry. Yep. Continue. No problem. So defense uh, or offense. Mm-hmm. So, so some, some people, of us are wide some ways and yep. than others. Yeah, no doubt. And you will make us, you will decide your strategy based on the next two things. Well, some of it has to do with beliefs. Okay. But, um, the other two things are what I call information synthesis. It's just a fancy way of saying how you take information from your environment in order to, um, to use that, how you create information from your environment to create what you're, what you think you should do, how your adjustment's going to look. So, um, right now, uh, what a lot of young people are doing, a lot of young people are doing in general is they have shallow and narrow information. And what they mean is they're so used to scrolling an iPhone or, Mm. you know, Instagram or, Google, whatever it is, they just get constant information. So, so there's very shallow information and it's very, um, it's, it's not very, um, you know, it's very, and it's very wide. So they're getting all kinds of, all kinds of informational sources, but it doesn't go very deep. They don't get very deep into it. It's just a lot of it. Um, and then there's also people who have narrow, You know, when you get, uh, when you have to make a good adjustment, sometimes you really need to get narrow and deep, depending on what the adjustment is. So Mm. how you synthesize information has something to do with your adjustment. And um, does that make sense? So so what, what is better? Is it better to have a narrow, like have that, what do you call it, the narrow information where you're have a lot of information but on deep or is it better to have deep information? It really depends on the adjustment itself. So, right. um, you know, if it's something that you have to do something, um, 
rather quickly. And and we've learned that there are, after testing so many people, there are seven different basically types of adjusters. So each one does this a little differently. Um, and you can take the quiz, so to speak, in the book. It kind of gives you an idea of which kind of adjuster you are. Um, and then you know, okay, so maybe I need to, in this situation, maybe I need to go more narrow and deep. Um, that kind of thing. And really, the last element is knowledge. And that's really what you need sometimes to be able to go narrow and deep. So it's different from having a lot of information. What you really need is knowledge. Um, So in order to make a good adjustment, you might need some kind of deeper piece of knowledge in order to do that. Yeah. Okay, so just run through those fives just in, in recap again, in summary. So belief. Yep, absolutely. So we have beliefs, internal timing, strategic actions, information synthesis, and knowledge. And based, mm-hmm. and then based on those five elements, we can determine what kind of adjuster you are. And those seven are based on baseball names because it's fun. Okay. <laughs> and um, yeah, so you might be an all-star, you might be a maverick, you might be a free agent, you might be a steady Eddie. So we have different, different, fun, different names. So with those. Um and I'll, I'll leave the, uh, that for the book, I guess, encourage people to get out there and, and pick up a copy to have a read and find out your what type of adjuster you are. Um, right. Are there necessarily better adjusters than others or is it, again, just that we're different? But well, I guess when it comes to performance and, and productivity, mm-hmm. some of those adjusters must be the ideal to create. Yeah, there's – there's there's actually a chapter on the million dollar adjusters. So we saw that there were adjuster. certain traits. Mm-hmm, that there like there are some adjustment patterns and that are a little bit more. We see them more in high performers. But then there's the cream of the crop, the the million dollar adjusters who kind of stay with something for a lot longer, and they you know they stay in Major League Baseball for a while. They they continue to. Um, uh, do things that surprise people. These are the these are the million dollar adjusters. So That's what you could be, on. yes, you you could be a free agent in the in in your adjustment pattern, but you could strive to become the million dollar adjuster because um, and you can do it. You can optimize your pattern, and that's what we've been able to do um, for a lot of players. We've been able okay. to see, okay. You know, he's a prospect. They paid X amount of dollars for him. Um, and they realize, you know, after they have him for a little while, okay, he needs to, he doesn't make great adjustments. So how can we like tweak that a little bit? And again, adjustment isn't a change. We're not changing who he is. We are simply uh, modifying something to help him uh, succeed more, right, for him. So um, based on who he is and not trying to change who he is, we're just trying to help um, and bring out what he can do. And so that is, um, some of the work that I've been doing. And then that helps us to get them to the million dollar adjustment. That's cool. So what, um, what, what can you sort of summarize what defines a million dollar adjuster around those five key points? Yeah. I mean, and again, this is in the book too, but, um, there are certain things that we've seen certain traits. So, one of them is that they are very decisive. Um, yeah. And you that's not surprising, right? You no. would think. But in order to be decisive, there have to be a lot of things that come into play. All five of those elements, if you think about it, have got to be in complete harmony. 
you have to be able to have a belief that what you're going to do is going to work. Yeah. You have to be able to do it quickly or, you know, so your internal timing, you have to be strategically, your strategy has to be offensive or even defensive, but you have to know what it is right away. You have to have knowledge and information synthesis. I mean, all of those things, right? Yeah. So decisiveness is, is a really big one. Um, and, um, that's, a, that's one of them. Then the other thing is that we see in in one of those um, I'm going to pull it is that they also maximize time. So in a way that they're not wasting time and they're not um, they're also not just overdoing it. They know how to optimize and maximize time, huh. and not everybody can do that. No. Yeah, yeah. So that's the second trait. That's a great one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the third one is that they can sustain attention after failure or even in the face of uncertainty. So hmm. when we experience failure or uncertainty, we want to shut down. Um, it's stressful and sometimes it's hard to power through. But a million dollar gesture, what we see is they can sustain their attention um, yes. even in, that, in the face of that. Failure and adversity would be the opposite, like when you have success um, or a win to still mm-hmm. sustain attention as well, because I guess it would be the opposite. You might lose track. Right. Or, but that might motivate yeah. too. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. I like that. Decisiveness, maximize time, sustain attention. Mm-hmm. And the last one is they see solutions and relevant correlations. So – they're not stuck on, um, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. Um, they see solutions and then they understand the correlation, like how this one thing can correlate to this other thing and how they yeah. can make both of those things work to see solutions. Yeah. Yeah. So they, um, yeah. And they're also growing new solutions. So, you know, they they tend to recycle and perfect strategies that have proven to be effective in the past. Um, so that's, you know, that comes from kind of a, a good memory and also understanding, like, you know, how to make things work. Yeah. The million-dollar adjustment, there's a goal. So what, what do you do to help people um, – with the, like what, what can we do? And again, I don't want to go into too much depth because I'm conscious of the time that we've got left, but what are some key takeaways that we can share that you can share with the audience to help us move towards this, you know, million dollar adjuster? Well, I think the first thing is you have to use the word adjustment. Um, and, and I think people don't understand the power of that word. Um, okay. we are, yeah, we're, we're always adjusting. So there's nothing wrong with that. We, we have to be comfortable being able to adjust and not feel like it's a lot of effort. Oh my gosh, there's more things, something else I have to do. I think, um, just the, the understanding of the fluidity of life, um, you have to be comfortable with that because it isn't, it isn't always going to be the same. Right. Um, I wonder, when, well, I wonder when you find comfort with that, because I mean, that is the reality you're dead, dead right. I mean, Life is constantly changing. You're constantly needing to adjust. And I think, you know, I feel, I guess as I've learned more and gained more knowledge and experience in life, that I feel more comfortable 
just with dealing with that. And and I think a lot of the people that I look up to, it usually seems to be you know older people that have experienced more of life. Um, generally, seem to just go with the flow a bit more. Yeah, and that's that piece, the part yeah. of peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So I yeah I mean so I think being okay with that whole concept and then knowing what kind of adjuster you are um, is also a good thing because then you'll know what your reaction will tend to be and you won't be so um, you'll know how to work within that. Um, The one thing that we do for high performers is we take a look at their par pattern. We actually, you know, we'll test them and we'll see where it breaks down. Um, We give them this, you know, we can see about when we think it's going to break down in them and how it's going to break down. So then we give them some strategies and usually it has something to do around those five elements, um, the ones that we talked about. So we do some very interesting things. We kind of mix timing in depending on where it breaks down for each person. But um, some people need to increase their timing. They might sit too long in before they make a decision and they might need to make that go a little faster. So one thing we've done is we've taken like a metronome, you know, are you familiar with what? Okay. And we give them this, you know, kind of noise in the background and we have them do a certain task and we try to disrupt whatever their pattern is to help them see it and feel it. Um, if they need a change in that area. Right. So there's a lot of things we've done just depending on where it breaks down. So that's having the support of, you know, a coach or an assessor helping them with these these facets. Is there anything we can do to, you know, individually around timing or making faster decisions? Is it just becoming more aware of, hey, I've got a decision to make here and I need to try and, you know, resolve this quicker than I normally would? Yeah, there's actually um, a chapter six is called Making Better Adjustments. It gives you some ideas on how to train your adjustment pattern. Right. Yeah. So that's, you know, because that's a very valid question. Okay, so this is where I'm at. Now, what if I want to change it a little bit or optimize it? Um, I say that there's, I call, I talk about the elements cocktail where um, different strengths, everything mixed, those five elements kind of mix into the cocktail and they come in at different times. They have different potencies. So knowing this, this talks about that a little bit when the potency um, depending on how often you see a failure, how often you have a, the, the failure, or if there's a huge uncertainty and there continues to be more uncertainty, how this changes the potency of the cocktail. And so you can then change it based on what you're seeing. Yeah. I like that. And any final takeaways from the book before we run out there and grab a coffee? <laughs> well, I think that um, my biggest takeaway is that we are in a time of change and mm. athletes, you know, this, this, uh, this book was written about high performers, but right now we're all high performers. And the reason is because we have to sustain, um, to attention as sustain, um, our motivation, sustain our, uh, ourselves during this, what I, I we're all in a game and, like baseball and we're in the, you know, I'm not sure what inning we're in, but if we understand that we, um, we can succeed based on, um, looking at our teammates, working with our teammates and also definitely not being afraid to make adjustments and not to have fear. I think we need to be bold and I think we need to be, um, 
know that we have the power to make these adjustments and that they can impact others in a good way too. So um, look to your team. Um, we might not, you know, there's, it's a long game and it's a long season. So um, don't worry about one inning that things didn't go well. Um, yeah. we, got, we got the next inning. That's great advice too. I think mm-hmm. it's too too common to focus on the, the you know, the, the short term rather than the long term game. Right. I was once told a, a wonderful coach once told me that a game is won in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, not in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. um so that's because, you know, the real champions come out, they don't give up. They don't quit. And keep going. Mm-hmm. So of, when um, we know how to Yep, yeah, you go. I was just going to say, when we can make a great adjustment, we and know that we things are fluid. We can mm. we can still have impact. Yeah, and I think like you know, going down to high performing athletes and and people like that, um, you know, I think everyone wants to be better at their performance in whatever you do, like whether it's yeah your home duties or work duties or or just life in general. You, who doesn't want to perform better at life? Um, exactly. I, you know, I, I think that'd just be I don't know. I think you're just not aware of that fact that that's part of human nature is to keep Mm -hmm. progressing and keep improving. Absolutely. And we have the power to do that. That's how we are made. I mean, when we were born, we had to learn how to walk and that required a lot of adjustments. When we were, you know, we had to learn how to talk and that required a lot of adjustments. Um, Some of us did it faster than others, but we all got there. So it's just a matter of, you know, um, it's, knowing that's how we're made we're made to be adjusters yeah yeah made to be adjusters the million dollar adjusters what right. um <laughs> what what sort of uh routines rituals do you have in your life that helps you with your success um personally i try to focus on what i know i can control i try to focus on um my, I mean, I tend to be a faithful person, so I mm-hmm. look at what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I um, spend a, I spend time with positive. Um, I try to spend so a lot of time thinking positive thoughts and being um, around positive people, but also giving encouragement. And um, you know, we all need to be filled up now and then. So um, I try to look to sources that help me to get that to, you know, to get to, to stay in a positive place. Cause it's easy to go the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, I also exercise and, um, I try to, uh, connect with people whenever I can, even if it's just through zoom or Skype or whatever it is, you know, in the backyard, wave to somebody. And there's so many ways to connect and also just to, um, you know, eat well, uh, sleep, all the things that were just basic things that we're supposed to do. Yeah. You know, taking care of your health, taking care of your brain. Yeah. yeah. Connecting um, with people. Yeah. Having an, you know, I have a pet who I like to, you know, play Frisbee with, you know, just things like that. We all have to be uh, mindful of the things that we can do and watch our mind because our mind is really important and we have to be positive as much as we can because we don't want us to go into a place that's negative for too long. I mean, we all do eventually, right? But um, here and there, but we have to stay away from the negativity. No, oh, 100%. Switch off the news. That's why we're 
we're surrounded by fear and negativity and, and things like that. And I, I can't agree more that having that positive influence around you more constantly is going to drive you in a better direction than the opposite. Yeah. You know, and that's why I think music, I mean, rhythm is really important. That's the internal timing. Um, rhythm is important. So having rhythm in your life is really important because when uncertainty happens, it kind of upsets your rhythm. And so whether that's just having music that with a beat that you like, I mean, everyone has, it's funny because everyone has a different type of music they tend to like, and it's because they like a certain beat and they probably don't even know it. It has to do with the rhythms in their own, their internal timing. So you know, music is a really important thing to have. And so is just like a beat in your home, even if there's mm. no music to it, you know, something that kind of regulates your own internal timing. So it doesn't make you go, you know, doesn't stop it too often because fear and anxiety and uncertainty can actually create internal timing disruptions. So if you have an, an audible, um, you know, reminder in the background, that's also a very healthy thing. You would be surprised how, well, how big of an impact it actually has. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Do you, um, do you have any productivity hacks that help you in your day-to-day life? Any productivity hacks, you said? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, I definitely have come to grips with my own um, adjustment pattern. Um, I tend to be a maverick, what it's called. So um, I I make sure I know when my um, when how that impacts my productivity. Um, so that's why I have to be uh, very careful. I have like a high um, confidence in certain things, and then at certain points, if something doesn't happen, it can create doubt. So for me, in order to be most productive, I have to erase as much doubt as I can. Um, right. and that's what I do for, for, for my productivity. It makes a big difference. How do you go about erasing doubt that you might have? I guess it's aware first of the doubt. Fo- well, believe it or not, I, I focus on the timing instead of the doubt. So I push my timing. I make my timing go faster. When I want to be more productive, I hold myself to higher levels of timing, um, accountability, because then I don't have time for doubt. Uh, good, good. I like that. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Set yourself um, goals and, and, yeah, have them, have them come sooner. Yeah, okay. I like it. Um, yeah. Look, what, um, where, where can people reach you and, and find out a bit more about you, Linda? Well, um, I am on Instagram at Linda L. Warziniak. Um, I can also be in the links guys. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Um, I also have a website. It's, um, majorleagueconsulting.com. So if they want to send me an email, they can send me an email at Linda at majorleagueconsulting.com. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, those are the two, yeah, those are the two best ways. Send me a DM on Instagram if you want, or I'm also on clubhouse. If anybody listens to clubhouse. Cool. Well, Linda, it's been fantastic having you here today. Thanks for sharing. And what a fantastic book too. So I'm going to stick the link in the show notes. Guys listening out there, um, make sure you check it out at thehiddenwide.com and grab yourself a copy, Million Dollar Adjustments. Thank you so much for having me, Lee. It's been really nice to get to know you and talk with you. And um, I just uh, want you to know that I'm praying for Australia. 
Thank you so much, Linda, and I uh, appreciate your time today. Guys out there, check it out at thehiddenwire.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon